Donald Trump called him tough. Rush Limbaugh read one of his articles live on his radio show. Ann Coulter tweeted that article to her one and a half million followers and declared, every sentence is perfect. Ladies and gentlemen, your host, former chief editor of the Jewish Press, Elliot Resnick. Welcome to the Elliot Resnick Show. Joining us today is the owner of the Twitter account called Necktie Salvage. And he is trying to salvage the tie for the average American man. Not too long ago, virtually every Western man wore a tie in public. If I'm not mistaken, until the late 1960s, Yale University wouldn't even serve undergraduates their meals unless they were wearing a jacket and tie. We live in a very different world today, though. Dressed down culture dominates. Different time, different styles. Well, the man behind Necktie Salvage thinks something more is going on. And today we will learn about what that something is. Welcome to the program. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for coming on. Let me get straight to the point. Why, in your opinion, should the average American man wear a tie in public? It's about respect. It's about dignity. It's about representing oneself as something more rather than less. I think it's important to go all the way back. We need to understand that everything is connected. All of this degeneration that we see in our society, all of the moral degeneration, the cultural degeneration, the aesthetic degeneration, the spiritual degeneration, they aren't separate. They are all based on a lowering root. There's this lowering force that's bringing everything down. And when we see man, when we see his presentation today, when we see how he looks, when we see slobified man, he is reflecting a broader and a deeper cultural degeneration, a degeneration of the spirit of man himself, a giving up. When we're seeing that, when we're seeing someone wearing what they slept in, we see them wearing that in public, that's related to the spiritual degeneration, the cultural degeneration, the moral degeneration, everything else. It's just a physical manifestation of it. There's a lot of other, the giving up is also based on a nothing matters sort of attitude. And it's all part of this bigger thing. And so when a man decides to go against that, when he decides to not wear pajama pants, when he decides to not wear a hoodie, when he decides to iron his shirt, when he decides to wear a tie, when he doesn't have to, he's going the opposite direction of the degeneration, which we see all around. And so it's a signal of ascent. He's representing a different spirit. He is representing a different direction. And it is a direction of aspiration, of ascent, of attempt at something, of not giving up. You recently wrote on Twitter, quote, there are a hundred things that are getting you down. Maybe they are from within life's daily struggles. Maybe they are from without the plethora of stress always crushing in. Whatever they may be, your clothes don't need to be one of them. Your clothes can elevate you. I was wondering if you could elaborate on that. Think about this. This is something so many people don't think about. Your clothes are on you 24 hours a day, practically 24 hours a day. You are always wearing clothes from birth to death. Do we not think that these clothes do something to us? Do we not think that they don't say something about who we are and what we believe and what our values are? Of course they do. And if you wear clothing that makes you feel like a joke, do you want your life to actually feel like a joke? I don't think so. Or if you wear clothing that makes you feel like a beast, a heathen, like you're unworthy of dignity. Will you feel as though you're worthy of dignity? Will you treat yourself and others with dignity? And so your clothes 
cannot solve all your problems. But I'm, I'll put a very clear situation to you. Imagine that you are about to receive a terrible phone call with terrible news. Would you rather be wearing something that essentially reaffirms your dignity? Or would you rather be wearing something that makes you feel like garbage? The answer is clear. And this connection of the way that people behave today, they treat themselves, they treat others, the way that they think about their lives and approach the world, and it's connected to how they present themselves. If you look like garbage, you're going to feel like garbage. And I think there's a connection, in fact, between older days, older times, when things were very, very difficult, and people dressing with greater dignity. And yeah, the society expected it. Yeah, that was all that was available. But they provide a sense of order among a chaotic world. And they provide an ability to reaffirm something. And I don't think it's a shock that you find people who are dirt poor in 19 whatever, sometime before now. Just pick a, let's pick a date. 1925. Anytime, literally, anytime. It's not a surprise that the groundskeeper at a graveyard from 1930 looks better than someone making a ton of money today. I think also dressing formally forces you to behave in a certain way. I mean, especially, let's say, teenagers. It applies to anybody, but let's say especially teenagers. You're moody, you're lazy, you want to veg out, it's the expression. Um, if you continue dressing that way when you're in public, you're going to bring your mood with you, really. When you put on formal clothing and you tuck yourself in, it's, you're kind of like telling yourself, okay, now I have to behave. Exactly. I'm now going out. I'm now among people. I have to behave. If you go to a formal dinner, if you realize, oh my gosh, I have to sit properly now. I can't slouch in my chair. It kind of takes you out of your laziness, your procrastination, your dark mood. It gets you out of yourself it in does. a certain way. Yes. If you dress like a match, almost like you start acting like a match. You feel like you have to play the part. That's right. I mean – we know this about mitzvot in general. You do it, and maybe you'll start having the faith after a bit, you know? But you start doing it, and you act today. And you're right. You're just dead right about this. If you dress like a mensch, you'll act like a mensch. And if you put – there's something about effort too. If you put the effort forth, like you said, you have to go to a, go to a dinner, and so you have to dress up. You have to dress formally. That – inspires you to act a certain way as well. Think about what you care about too. Very rarely do we have something that we care about deeply, but we don't prepare for. And so when you prepare for something, you then start to care about it. And even if you didn't care at first, you do because you don't want to have your preparation to go down the tubes. So then it results in this sort of upward momentum. It's about this ascent, everything going up about trying, about effort and that's it. I was intrigued by your comments on clothing and kids on Twitter. It seems that you think kids in particular need to dress dignified. That's a phrase you often use, dressing dignified. You write on Twitter, today, due to cartoonification, arrested development, slobification, and a hundred other social ills, the future is disappointing to so many. It is underwhelming and irritating, so they give up. They arrive and they realize that nothing is really expected of them. In fact, they aren't needed anymore. They can just still be kids forever. End quote. What do you mean by that? How do clothes give them that impression? Well, first of all, you look at what kids wear today. You look at what they're walking down the street in. This is very new. This didn't exist pre-1960. 
you look at any picture all over the Western world, pre-1960, kids, little boys, are dressed basically like little versions of their dads. And that was a plain shirt or a striped shirt or a checked shirt with buttons and a collar, usually, and shorts or pants and leather shoes. Today, where you have graphic tees and you have kids that are wearing just if you look at what a kid is wearing, it's completely psychotic often. The colors are jarring. The colors are crazed. Maybe it has insane cartoons on it. And it's basically a joke. There's basically this sense where, okay, well, they're kids. They can just wear jokey clothes the whole time. Think about what that does to a kid. Think about what that sets up for how he thinks of himself. And also think about what it does to his mindset as well. Do we not think that it has no impact on his mindset. By the way, many times, because now we're farther down this road, that boy is dressing just like his dad now. His dad might wear similar clothes that are similarly crazy and erratic. What does that teach him in terms of the image of man, the image of who he will be? It's not about squashing children. It's about directing their energy and the aesthetic language that they learn toward decency and dignity. And the reason why I talk about dignity rather than well, I very rarely will say dressing well. And I rarely say the word formally either, because even though there is a distinction, a lot of difference here, the truth is, is that at the deepest level, it's not only about formality, because you can have dignity at every level. The blue collar worker, the guy who works outside with his hands, the guy who works inside with his mind, the artist, the white collar worker, the guy in every corner he can dress with dignity. Every guy doesn't have the same job, doesn't have the same requirements, doesn't have the same anything. They're all different. Yet dignity in a strong image of man, which reaffirms his strength, that can be for all men in every corner, no matter where they are. That starts at a young age with kids because it has to do with the aesthetic language that they learn. Because kids learn an aesthetic language. I remember distinctly being a kid and seeing my dad come home from work. He always wore an OCBD and usually a blazer and chinos. OCBD means? is uh, Sorry. Oxford cloth button down. Oxford cloth is the fabric and button down is referring to the collar that buttons down. This is a standard in uh, American Ivy style and prep style. But I remember my dad wearing that every day. And I remember being a kid and saying, that's what a dad looks like. That's what I'll look like. And I know that I learned that aesthetic language from looking up to my dad and learning that. And kids learn that from looking up to their dad. And then they learn it even more based on what they're wearing. And we've gone a few generations now in the slide, in the degeneration. So now we're really in total anarchy when it comes to what the children are learning from the dad in terms of how to dress. But before anarchy, which was a generation ago or two generations or three generations, or depends how far you want to go back, this is the way it's supposed to go. You're supposed to learn that. And so the, the aesthetics which teach him how to become a man should be filtering toward a direction of ascent, should be directing him upwardly. In eras past, dressing up for a man required wearing a stiff collar, a stiff front shirt, and other accoutrements. Do you think that was too much? Is it possible for a person to overdress? Oh, yeah, for sure. 
I think there are appropriate times for different things. I never say, because sometimes I'll notice when I write something, I'll see people comment and they'll say, you want us to wear a suit every day. And I just think I've never told someone to wear a suit every day. If you want to wear a suit every day, because your job is a job in which it is appropriate to wear a suit every day, do so. But wearing a suit every day is not appropriate for every man's occupation. I focus specifically on a the general style world of Ivy style and prep, because in my opinion, there's a lot of things that are very unique about this style world. But one of the things that is particularly valuable and is a very cool thing and it's a very special thing is that it is absolutely accessible for every guy. It is absolutely appropriate for modern society. It isn't a throwback into the past. It is also appropriate for every day of your life. There are pieces for every level of formality, for working outside, for working inside, for holiday, for the various seasons. Right. After I booked you for this interview, I learned, well, actually, you told me that you're actually an observant Jew. And I want to ask you about to what extent your religion informs your views on dressing. So I'll get to that in a second. But just in terms of dressing, let's say, for davening, for prayer. So I do not wear a tie to prayer to davening every day. And I daven in Washington Heights in the German Jewish synagogue, which is more formal than other places. The rule in my synagogue is you can't daven for the element. You can't lead the services unless you're wearing a tie. And when I do lead the services and I wear a tie, it does make me feel different. I definitely appreciate that I'm wearing a tie. It makes me treat the whole process a little bit differently and more the respect that it, that it deserves. But anyways, yesterday, someone actually said to me, uh, as he was going around the room collecting tzedakah during Chazar Sashat's, he was sort of whispers to me that I should be wearing a tie. And I didn't know what to answer because in some ideal world, I think maybe he's correct, but I, I didn't grow up wearing a tie at any other occasion besides on Shabbos or some other f- super formal occasion, a bar mitzvah wedding, but not at just a regular mincha during the week, just a regular service. But he was saying, mm-hmm. you should, we ought to wear a tie. We're both conservatives. Don't, shouldn't you be wearing a tie? I didn't quite know what to answer. But, so but there are many mm-hmm. people like me who maybe agree with you that in an ideal world that you should be dressing more formally, or, sorry, yeah. more dignified. And I always wear... Um, shirts with buttons and collars. I never wear t-shirts or anything like that. But I do feel a little bit awkward wearing a tie during the week just for a regular davening. I was wondering what what you would say to someone like me, because I'm sure I'm not the only one. There are many people like me. Ah, That's an incredible story. I love hearing that. That's also so fantastic that if you're going to lead the service, you have to wear a tie. I think that's fantastic. I think there's a lot to this. I'm sure there's a lot of guys like you. I think there's a couple layers here. First of all, if you didn't grow up with it, there will always be a period in which you are getting used to it. When some guy starts to care about his dress, about how he presents himself, there's always this period where he feels like, is this me? Is this a costume? It doesn't feel quite natural. It doesn't feel like him yet. He still feels like this is, I'm adding something. This is someone else almost in a way. But then... As he wears it a little bit longer, and it's not years, maybe it's weeks, maybe it's months. But as he wears it, people start to get used to him wearing it. And he starts to almost expect himself to wear it. And then it starts to feel like himself. It starts to feel more natural. And so I think for the guy who says, I'm not used to wearing the tie. I'm used to wearing the tie only on Shabbos. I'm only used to wearing the tie at special occasions. I feel weird wearing the tie. 
what I'd say is keep going. Just see how it feels. Just keep going. It'll feel more natural. It's hard because we're having to make these choices ourselves. Back in the day, for example, imagine if the synagogue said, you can't literally, if you're a guy, you have to wear a tie, period, if you're going to come in the shul. Then there'd be no question. Because it is this rule that's being administered from some outside force. And so you say, okay, that's what the rule is. But when all of a sudden we're having to choose for ourselves, we're having to essentially be ourselves and the law at the same time. We're having to like apply it to ourselves and make ourselves do it, even if we don't feel like it. And that's where I think actually the difficulty of like the anarchy, the the ultra democratic anarchy of everything when it comes to to dressing really comes into play. Because most of the guys who dressed well back in the day, they dressed well because that was what was expected of them. The society was oriented in that direction. For the guys who elect to dress more than they need to today, you're not like the guys in 1950 or 1940, 1930. You're like a special breed because you're electing. You're going above and beyond. And so it's a difficult situation. Like what you're describing, this scenario is a scenario that is made more possible because of the lack of rules from an outside force. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? I think so. And it's interesting because I think ideally, according to Jewish law, whenever you pray, you're supposed to be approaching God the way you would approach a king, a president, whoever's the leader of a country. Yeah. So really, you should be wearing a tie mm-hmm. for any prayer. No, Very few people do it, not this generation anyways. But No, this is, I mean, this is a really fair point. This is a fair point. You're wearing shoes. Why wouldn't you be wearing a tie as well? I mean, yeah. this is where I do think it's, it's hard for us to apply it to ourselves. It really is. When we have someone outside and, and some force outside that is essentially more than just one other person, it's easy for us to say, okay, that's what's expected. Like back in the day, you had to wear a coat, jacket, a sport coat, a blazer if you're going to go into certain restaurants. It was just that is the policy. If you go to a classical concert – well, so it's less and less, but still people f- dress much more formally. Yeah. Just take a picture of the crowd at a classical concert versus the crowd mm-hmm. at a rock concert. Exactly. And then tell me there's, that there's no difference between the two types of music. Just exactly. so one, one inspires you to wear t-shirts and one inspires you to wear a jacket and tie. Now, I know many people don't wear ties anymore to classical concerts mm-hmm. or even sometimes jackets, but it's still overall dressing 10 times more formally than they're dressing to a rock concert. That's an incredible example. This is a perfect example because – Contrast these two different forms of music, these two different styles. One is refined. One represents a certain sort of greatness. And one is something else. You know, the rock is more primal, more barbaric in a way. And these are not the same. And you're very right about that. We can tell. And it isn't just custom only. There's, that's a great example. Let me get a little bit to your background. So f- first of all, I'll ask the question I-, I asked before. Does the fact that you're an observant Jew inform any of your views on dressing dignified? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what I would say is what distinguishes us from animals? We talk about man and our jobs as men and our role as man. Are we representing great men? Are we representing great generations or are we representing the generation right before the flood (laughs) are we something greater or something more degenerated we care so much about dressing ourselves and our aesthetic even if someone doesn't see us think about tzitzit or think about payas it exists outside of whether or not someone if you don't see anyone 
this mitzvah still exists. Yeah, and I think even modesty yeah. exists even in the privacy of your own room. This is deep stuff. This is very, very deep. It isn't only about when you see people. It's about this eternal thing, even in the privacy of our right. own home. And that's where I get a lot of this from. It is, exists outside or independently from the forces of the society. Right. No, and also, I don't know if you're familiar with the altar of Slobodka. He was a rabbi in the late 1800s, early 1900s. And in his yeshiva, he insisted that all the students dress top-notch because he stressed always godless Adam, which means the greatness of the man, the greatness, great potential of man. And therefore, you have yeah. to dress the part. And I, I, I was, Amen. And I was studying well, – I've read about him in other places, but I was also studying a little bit about the Muslim movement. That's what he was part of in university. Mm-hmm. And the professor said, you have to understand that people had a very low image of the yeshiva student at the time because modernity was hitting Russia and Poland and people were enamored mm-hmm. of modernity. And they would see yep. this university student walking down the street and the university student had this uniform and it's like, he, he was, it looked extremely impressive and people like wanted to be like that university student. Mm-hmm. Whereas they looked at the mm-hmm. yeshiva student, he was wearing rags, you know, and just mm-hmm. looked, looked poor, looked like he wasn't uh-huh. well fed and pale. Mm-hmm. And the altar Slobodka, in order to raise the dignity of Torah and, and, and Judaism mm-hmm. and orthodoxy, he insisted that his students look just as basically as good as the university students. Mm-hmm. And that was part of like kind of what he wanted to raise the, the prestige of, of Torah and the yeshiva. So. That's incredible. That's that's an incredible example of this, where he's concerned about the aesthetics representing the values and, and essentially serving as the shield for the values. And are we reflecting our values, what he's saying, are we reflecting our values as that of a beggar, or are we reflecting our values as something grand, something great, something beautiful? And right. that is what we're talking about here. It, it's, this is deep stuff. All right. Last question. I know you want to keep some of your details of your private life private, but to the extent that you can, like, where are you from? What do you do for a living? And what inspired you to start this Twitter account? I am from Mamash out of town. <laughs> um, I, live in a, I live in the middle of nowhere. And I've always worked in fairly non-traditional sort of jobs. What inspired me to start this was... I was always into style, a little more than most people. But what solidified my views more than anything else and was part of what inspired me to start this account and my project was having kids. When you have kids, things become more real. And that really pushed me and made me think deeper about this and made me want to honestly help affect a positive change. The reason why I talk about dressing with dignity and decency is because it's for every man, no matter rich, poor, white collar, blue collar. It's for every guy. And I want to be a force for positivity in this rather than negativity, in ascent rather than descent. And like I said, we live in the middle of nowhere. In America, though. It is. What'd you say? In America, though, right? Oh, in America, in America. We... uh, get our kosher meat a few hours away or get it shipped to us and to be close to the beautiful nature, God's creation. I also think it has a positive impact on my thoughts on things. You can't help but be reminded of the incredible order of his creation. I always think about this. When I stand every fall and see the geese flying overhead, migrating. Just think of this incredible order 
in the chaotic anarchy we suffer under. I was just watching an interview with uh, Mary Miller, a congresswoman from Illinois, a, but a farm area of Illinois. She's been running a farm for the last 40 years. And she was discussing, she's very traditional, and very, she's talking about raising her seven kids with Bible instruction. And after right, watching right. that interview, I was thinking to myself, I wonder if there is a connection, between, like you're saying, between being closer to nature and being more, I guess you would just say normal. I mean, it's hard for me to, yeah. the, I think a lot of the more crazy ideologies of nowadays, I think, come more because we are so detached from nature. And that's a whole other mm-hmm. discussion. I was reading Roy Sampson and Rafael Hirsch, a commentary on Chumash. Mm-hmm. He writes yeah. that, at least his, according to his understanding of certain Gemaras, I guess, um, I think there's a mm-hmm. dispute, but it seems like at least some opinions say that there has to be a very limited number of cities in Israel that you actually are not allowed to build more cities than there already exist, meaning most of Israel has to be rural and agricultural. And I think, I don't remember exactly, but I think he says, yeah, there might be an effect of when you live only in cities detached too much from nature, mm-hmm. your morals and your ideas could could perhaps stray too far. I'm not sure if he says that That's last fascinating. Point, but, uh, yeah, no, That's fascinating. I've, I love that. I think there's yeah. a lot of truth to that. I think there's a lot of truth to that. All right. Well, it was a real pleasure having you on the show, and I wish you the best of luck. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. All right. That does it for us. If you like this podcast, please consider subscribing to it and giving it a good rating and a nice review if you're so inclined. I hope you enjoyed the episode and have a great day or a great night, depending on when you're listening to this podcast. <laughs>